Hello, hello everyone. I am so excited to share this interview with you today with Dawn Aurora Hunt. Um, she is pretty magical, literally and figuratively. <laughs> she is the author of A Kitchen Witch's Guide to um, Love and Romance. And um, she is a practicing pagan. And we get to talk all about that, what inspires her, um, how she applies that to her life, and how she keeps romance alive in her long-term relationship with her husband. I think they've been married over what we talk about in the episode, so you can you can check that out as you listen. But um, one thing I, I was thinking about... Um, as I'm preparing to share this episode with you is this idea of the word witch and how we are, I feel like there's being a reclamation of it. And Don and I do dive into that a little bit, but um, I think it's really exciting to see a resurgence of this idea of how to, to create magic in your everyday life and um, that it doesn't have to be this thing that has such a negative connotation to it um, because of historical trauma, right? Collective historical trauma over it, even though it's hundreds of years old, there's still kind of that feeling in our modern day life of like, oh, being a witch is a bad thing. Well, what does it even mean? How, how do we even define it? So I wanted to offer you one more resource resource on that subject. And that is a book called Witch by Lisa Lester. I keep looking up because it's actually on my bookshelf and it's a really great read. It's a fun read about what all that means in our modern day era. And Lisa Lester goes into the historical reference of which and how, how we kind of got to where we are today and how to reclaim this idea and how to practice magic in your everyday life. So I highly recommend as an adjunct to this episode, if this is a topic you're interested in diving into that book as another resource. Uh, one other thing I want to just briefly chat about before we uh, join our conversation with Dawn is that I have a workshop coming up. Um, I get to get the honor of partnering with the Westfeld Institute, which I've done um, podcast with uh, managing director Cass Wick um, and the founder and CEO, Tim Westfeld of the Westfeld Institute. Um, and they are all about emotional hygiene. Um, and what does that even mean? It's, I feel like kind of a new term for a lot of us in that, how do we take care of our emotions? It's it's important to cleanse emotionally, just like we take care of our bodies physically as in we shower every day. So too do our emotions need that kind of cleansing. So it's all about building tools to um, help yourself have a healthier relationship with the tools of emotions and in the way that they are tools, we use our anger mindfully. It has a purpose. It, it, it can be a helpful tool if turned on and wielded properly, just like a sharp sword or blade or knife it has a purpose in cutting something that's helpful. Like we need to slice our tomatoes or cheese or our vegetables, whatever it is we're slicing. But if we're not paying attention, it can cut us and hurt us. Emotions like anger, same thing. Um, 
sadness, joy, all of these um, foundational emotions, how do we use them, manifest them and help us be things that um, are, are helpful and healthy in our lives? Uh, and so not only are we partnering up with the Westfield Institute to bring you this special two-day workshop, a little mini retreat, but also Isak Garcia, who is, he, he comes from the tradition of Hatha Yoga, uh, traditionally the Bikram series. So that 26 and two hot Hatha, very therapeutic yoga. Um, and then he took it one step further and created something called Jedi Fight Club. And what that is, is a series that works on backbends and backbends in terms of wall walks. So if you imagine a wall behind you and your back is facing the wall, you're reaching your arms up and overhead, fingertips come to the wall. And then eventually over time, you walk your hands all the way down to the wall and get yourself into a full backbend in Sanskrit, Urdhva Dhanurasana. Um, and so not necessarily the goal or the purpose or the aim of that piece of the workshop it's not to get you into that backbend, but it's to get your spine moving. It's to get your awareness to your spine. It's to get that sense of mobility. We spend so much time forward folding and forward flexion, you know, sitting at our desk, driving in a car, hunching over our little devices that our spine isn't moving um, front to back, side to side. It's not moving in those directions, twisting in the way that it should and can and needs to, to create a long, healthy life over time. So backbending is one really great way to check in with your spine, to build some healthy tools, some healthy strength. Um, and it's really go at your own pace. So Isak will be focusing on that portion. And then I'm going to come in at the end so it's a two-day series, um, Saturday and a Sunday. We'll start off with emotional hygiene work. We'll have some backbending work. And then I'm going to come in and lead some yin yoga and yoga nidra. So it's this full 360-degree whole body inside and out workshop that we're putting together. Um, three partners with three expertise to give you this experience of uh, nervous system reset. Uh, which is the name of the workshop, Reset Your Nervous System. It's put on by the Westfield Institute. Details for sign up are on my website. Um, you can find links in my Instagram profile. And um, if you're having a hard time finding it, you can always reach out to me personally. My email is tessa, T-E-S-S-A, at tessa tovar, T-E-S-S-A-T-O-V as in Victor, A-R.com. So it's just my my name, um, to get you signed up for that workshop. It is the third week of May. So that is May 23rd and 24th, I believe, or the 22nd and the 23rd. Um, and I think it would be really fun, beneficial. Hope to have you there. Hope to see you there. Uh, all right, folks, without further ado, I give you my interview with Don Aurora Hunt. I hope you enjoy. So Don, I just... Oh, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to today all week. I've oh been God, listening to you. your podcast, which you recently started with your fabulous husband. Yeah. All he's morning. Great. Thank you. <laughs> and it's um, ridiculous. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's Thank so, you. I mean, it's helpful because you guys, I was just listening to the episode where you talk about, um, you know, keeping or like dating your partner 
and you're talking about brunch yeah, and how that's like your date because date night doesn't yeah. work for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it just so resonate with that as also being in a long-term relationship. And yeah, yeah, you talk about how simple it is, but simple things are effective. I feel like they're important, aren't they? Even yeah. though they're hard. And, you know, Justin and I have been together for 20 years, 21 wow. years, a really long time. We met very young um, and, and yeah. just weren't looking for anything and, and we just knew. Um, so it still surprises us. Um, but like, you know, people say, oh, it's the little things that count. And they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And mm -hmm. I'm, I'll give you an example. Um, I do yoga every morning uh, for 20 minutes, half hour, just just to get on the mat, you know, just to clear my head. And um, I know you teach, I do not. Um, it's just my own personal practice. And uh, to be quite frank, I wish I did more. Um, in any case, I lock myself in my office for a half hour and pull the mat out and, and do yoga in, in there. Um, and when I came out the other day, uh, I was recording for my, my podcast. That was like what I had a bunch of meetings and I had a bunch of recordings to do um, for my day. And when I came out from my yoga session, my husband had laid all of my stuff on the counter for my coffee. So he put my favorite mug. Aww. He, he put my, I used the soy creamer and he put that out and like laid out two stevia packets and a spoon and laid everything out for me because he knows that I don't like, I wouldn't have wanted him to make it cause then it would have been cold. Yeah. So what he did was he laid everything out for me. And it was just that moment of thoughtfulness and like, you know me so well, and you, you did this really sweet thing that took like 30 seconds, but it, that little thing showed me like so much love in that moment. Mm -hmm. And when people say like, oh, you know, what, what, are, what are the little things? What do you mean? The little things? That's what I mean. It, you know, it's like taking that extra step to do something thoughtful for the other person. Um, and that's kind of like the, a lot of the basis of, uh, like you were talking about, um, the podcast and we talking about dating each other, dating your long-term partner. And that's came up because of the, the book where we talk about that in the book, rekindling the fires of a romance, um, in, uh, the, the kitchen, which, uh, collection of recipes for love and romance. And, um, you know, I think that it sounds simple, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. And it's not even almost for me, it doesn't feel like it's a hard thing to do because those simple things are easy, but it's like, we get comfortable and complacent. And I feel like as this is coming out of my mouth, I'm like, wow, I sound judgy about myself, <laughs> but it sounds, I feel like I get a little bit lazy. Mm. Like I don't take that extra step, which is very simple and not hard to do. Um, mm -hmm. but just being that thoughtful, like, Oh, what could I do? What, what one little thing could I do today to just let that person know I care. I'm thinking about them. Just like setting up their coffee. How cute is that? It was, it was the cutest. I mean, I, it was the absolute cutest. And, and that's a habit that we've sort of gotten into as well. You know, sometimes in the morning we're getting ready for work and I'll look at him or he'll look at me and we'll just say, Hey, hon, is there anything I can do for you today to make you feel more loved? Is there anything I can do today to make you feel more respected or, or, you know, what do you, you not, not necessarily, what do you need? Cause usually people don't, you can't respond to that. You know, yeah. you're like, I don't know what I need. I need a cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> um, but the idea of like, is there anything that I, as your partner can do to make you feel more loved, less stressed, 
more respected, especially like if you've had a bad day at work or you've had a fight with your parent or something like that, where you might not be feeling respected or you might not be feeling heard. Like, is there something I can do to help you feel that way? You know? And then nine times out of 10, we say to each other, no, I'm good right now. But the fact that your partner is Kitty, you have a black cat too. Yeah, I have two. So do I. Oh my gosh, I love What are their names? Um, They're Spanish names, abeja and hormiga. And what do they mean? Abeja is bee, like a little honeybee. And hormiga is ant, like the little insect. So you named them insects, (laughs) which I love. Yes. We were talking about before we started recording being dorks. And um, I, I think I met my soulmate my dorky soulmate in Dom. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to be your dorky soulmate, uh, on the, on the, the topic of dorkdom. My black cat's names are, this is, wait, hang on, let me get him. Kitty. Kitty. Oh, he's so pretty. This is Ollivander. Ollivander. I love and His that. brother is serious black cat. <laughs> so <laughs> Does this re- reflect his personality? Um, I mean, they're definitely Harry Potter kitties for sure. Yeah. Um, they're also babies. I mean, he's huge, but he's only nine months old and he's 15 wow. pounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're, they're ginormous. And then we have an, a senior cat. Um, she's going to be 15 and her name's Tallulah and mm. she'll get hungry at some point and she'll come walking through and she's wearing this big like Elizabethan collar because she has a an injury on her arm. So trying to keep her from scratching it. Mm. Long story, but she's a cranky puss. Those yeah. are those are our babies. But yeah, dorks are great. I'm sorry. I'm just totally hijacking your podcast. <laughs> well, you, you're the guest. You get to do that. <laughs> hey, I do have a million questions for yeah, you. Though. Yeah. Ask me your million <laughs> questions. Okay. So in the background, I'm seeing your kitchen, which is now I'm going to get the title wrong. A Kitchen Witch's Guide to Recipes for Love and Romance, which for me, who, speaking of being a dork, I love books because I love the look. I love actual books, like the, Actually, the hardback, holding them, the yes, paper it's books. so important. Yeah. I cannot yeah. do a Kindle. I cannot read. I can't read a book online. Angry. And one of the things I love about this book is obviously the design, Thank the you. touch and feel of the pages. But looking through at these beautiful photographs and the way that you have organized it into sections and made it so much more than a book of recipes. It's a book of, you know, it's almost like a book of your life and, and a love story between you and Justin. And um, you want to hear something terrible? No. He yes. Hasn't he hasn't read it. Really? He, all the recipes are his, like about him or for him, or he's eaten them, or the, all the stories are about him. Uh-huh. Does and that, he hasn't he hasn't read it. So can I ask you a question from one author to another? Of course. So does that make you feel a sense of freedom in writing? Or does that make you feel like, mm, I wish you would read what I you I know what I mean? Don't want him to read it. Yeah. Do you know I, what I mean? Yes, like, I totally do. Here's this thing that I made. And it's so personal and so important to me. And I'm so gratified that like people like you and people all over are reading this book and I'm getting like, I get these, these emails or I get comments on, on Instagram. People are like, oh my God, you're talking about your issues with your body or you're talking about, you know, issues because it's like, it's not just a, it's not a cookbook. Like it is, but it's also kind of like self-help, but then there's also like meditations and Mm -hmm 
witchcraft and spells and all these kind of cool like visualization techniques. Um, but I, I don't, I kind of like, because it's about him mm-hmm. and it's, there's so much um, intimate like information about our relationship it's not anything that he and I haven't talked about or like had a million conversations or that he doesn't know what's in it. Right. But he actually hasn't sit down and read it. And that sort of makes me feel better because I'd be like so embarrassed. Like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I did that. Will uh-huh. you be my Valentine? You know, like that's how it feels. Uh-huh. Um, but like, I want everybody else to read it. Yeah. But it's not like him. The strangers. It's okay. It's okay if all the strangers and, yes. you know, the acquaintances read it, but it seems so much more intimate and scary to share it with that person than it's about. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Do you have the same, do you feel the same way about your work? I do. Well, I have a book of poetry and I'm also working on my first novel. Yeah. Poetry is so so personal. personal. And I think my husband might have, I know he read the dedication. (laughs) It's it's for him, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but I think that's pretty much as far as he got, maybe he's read a poem or two, but it, for me, the reason I ask you is because I feel like it gives me a bit of a sense of freedom knowing, you know, maybe he's, he doesn't want me to say this, but he wouldn't say anything because he doesn't want to hold me back. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yes. I, before I wrote the book or like, you know, when I got the book contract, I was like, babe, is there anything at all mm. that you don't want me to put in here? Because I feel that if I'm going to live an authentic life and I'm going to speak my authentic truth in a book, in a podcast, in my life, that I don't really hold anything back. There's very few things that I won't talk about. If Very few questions I won't answer if I'm asked a direct question. Um, and, and that's how I live my life with Justin. That's mm-hmm. how I live my life, you know, all the time. So before I did the book, I was like, is there anything at all that you don't want me to bring up? So you need to be comfortable because I might put it in there, you know, as sort of like dating a comedian, I guess, or, or being married to a comedian, like nothing can be off limits. And if it is, you have to let me know ahead of time because I will talk about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and he was like, no, he's like, I trust you. I know you're not going to say anything that would offend me or hurt my feelings. Um, Cause that's just not that's just not our relationship. Um, and yeah. And, and yeah, he, he said, yeah, what I, whatever you do, you know, I, I believe in you and it's going to be great. And I was like, I love you so much. Um, so that's, yeah, but I, there is, I don't feel unsupported that he hasn't read it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not like, you haven't read my book. How could you not read my book? You know? Mm but, but you hear all the time, like in the podcast, I joke around with him and I'm like, I wrote a book about you. That's how much I love. Like I wrote this book about you, you know? Um, yeah, I, I feel, I see what you're saying though, about having a little bit of that freedom Mm -hmm. to be like the one person that I'm, he doesn't need to read it. He lives that he lives it, you know? You're right. That's, that's a good point. Well, I, I'm glad I'm not alone in that feeling. I was just curious. Um, so can you, the term kitchen witch, well, and even in the broader sense of witch, the word and term and, and this idea and the mythos around it, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I feel like there's this reclamation of this idea of witchery or magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are, what are your thoughts on that? 
I would say that um, in, in definitely in this sort of uh, uh, modern society, there is sort of an awakening that's been happening in the last couple of years, you know, um, where people are really getting back to earth and nature. Um, I think that comes with an awareness of, hey, our planet is in trouble. What can we do to help her? Um, you know, climate change and all that sort of thing, sort of, especially younger people, younger generations sort of being woken up to the rhythms of earth. And that easily transitions into uh, a, a pagan mindset. And I'd like to use the word pagan mm -hmm. um, and explain a little bit, okay? Because I'm going to guess that we have a lot of folks out there that don't know these terminologies, witch, witchcraft, pagan, that sort of thing. So a pagan, as I identify, uh, is really anyone who studies or practices a, a non-Christian based religion. Okay. So uh, more of an earth-based religion. So, uh, or, or a polytheistic religion. So, um, any of that can fall under the blanket of pagan. Generally, the term witch is referred to as someone who practices only the, the religion of Wicca, which is a different um, sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's a different sort of pagan. So like under the pagan, you know, you've got witch, witches and druids and Norse and, and you know, uh, Celtic and all those other things, right? However, which is kind of a catch-all term as well, um, because people don't really know what you mean when you say pagan, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the term witch is sort of a, for me especially, is sort of a catch-all term saying, I'm a witch, I'm a pagan. They, I use the words interchangeably for myself, but just like gender, uh, you know, religion or spirituality is very, very personal. One of the things that I really like about the pagan path is that it is not an organized religion. So you don't necessarily go to a building and say a prayer and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and say a prayer and leave, um, which I grew up in, in, in a very strict Italian Catholic family. Um, and that was what you did, whether or not you believed what they were saying, uh, whether or not you practiced what they were preaching, uh, whether or not it felt right in your bones, that's what you did on a Sunday morning all the time. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that really attracted me to a pagan path, and I don't want to say attracted to, that was attractive to me when I found this path, because I didn't kind of go, that's what I want to do. I went, oh, that's what I am. That's mm -hmm. how I feel. Mm -hmm. um, is that there are no rights and wrongs. It's more like, yeah, if you want to, you know, this morning I did a devotion to um, Lakshmi, mm -hmm. a goddess of abundance, because that's kind of what I wanted to do in my yoga practice this morning, right? Sometimes I, I light a candle or give water offering for Ganesha. Sometimes I'm working with the energy of Hakate, who's a Greek goddess, who's known as the mother of witches. Uh, sometimes I want to leave offerings to nature spirits. All of these things are from different pantheons, but because I'm a witch, I don't have to choose just one pantheon. I can pick any of them or all of them or say, this is what I feel like today and work with those energies, which gives a sense of freedom and fluidity 
in a spiritual practice. Um, and then of course, as I'm, I might've glanced over this before, someone who's pagan or which generally uh, recognizes the five five elements, earth, air, fire, water, and then the human spirit uh, working together with all of them to create harmony. Um, so I, that is the tiny, the tightest little nutshell I could put that in. And I know it was a little bit of a rambly answer. Um, and then, okay. So then on the heels of that, I mm -hmm. am what you would call a kitchen witch. So I express all these ideals mostly through cooking, food, recipes, staying connected to my spirituality through food and cooking, um, nurturing other people with, with specifically food, um, culinary herbs, um, ingredients that have certain energetic qualities, um, not entirely unlike Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. using the energies of the foods for spiritual purposes, as well as for nutritional purposes. Mm -hmm. And then is there a seasonal component to that when you think about cooking and, um, you know, how you're using what foods when? Absolutely. Like and, and for me, that's a very, very big uh, component. Um, I'm over here in the Northeast. So we have very defined seasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now, like today it's like 70 degrees outside, but it's raining. Um, and tomorrow or we're, tomorrow we're supposed to have like snow flurries really? and we're going to go right back down to like 35 degrees and have snow flurries. Cause that's new England in the springtime. Okay. Um, so for me, yes, that, that, that seasonal component is incredibly important, uh, for me to stay connected to my spirituality and the rhythms of earth. Um, and, and it's funny because in most areas of the world, with the exception of places that don't have seasons, you know, um, everybody feels that way. And just an example, um, here in, in new England, you're not in the grocery store buying watermelon in January, mm. right? You're, it, it doesn't really exist. And if it does, it's probably not something you want because it's been engineered to be there. Yeah. Um, it's not going to taste right. And it's not going to resonate with you. Right. Mm -hmm. In January, you're thinking, oh, I want hearty soups and potatoes and warm meals and, you know, things like that. And then in the summertime, you're like, oh yeah, I really want fresh tomatoes and, you know, fresh greens and corn on the cob and all those things because your body is already in rhythm with, your spirit is already in rhythm with what the earth is giving at this time. If we take that a step further, we are also reducing our carbon footprints. We're also, uh, you know, helping local farms in our agriculture. We're also, you know, doing what's best for the earth by not demanding we have watermelon in January in New Hampshire right? So there's so many layers of why seasonal eating is important for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's so helpful. And at, and spring is such a, I look at it from an Ayurvedic lens of when you described it like that, those, those disparate, um, really cold snaps and then the warm, and it's kind of just like, it's hard on our systems to go back and forth like yeah. that. So I'm wondering if you have a favorite recipe or kind of a go-to meal that helps you stay balanced when you're experiencing that extreme. Um, not particularly. I mean, if you want the truth, I'm going to be super honest with you and give you a little bit more of my dorkiness. Um, 
I am a planner and a list maker. Mm-hmm. And for example, yesterday I spent about two hours planning my meals for the next two weeks um, so that I could go shopping today. Mm-hmm. And I looked, I had my calendar open as to what I, you know, what are my plans for the next two weeks? What meetings do I have? And so on, but also had open a weather app mm. so I could see what the weather was going to be like on those days and go, I know that I'm not going to be, if I'm planning on making a, a, a pot of chili, I know that I'm not going to be wanting to have that when it's going to be 70 degrees and sunny out. I'll make it. And then I'll go, Oh, I don't really want that now. Now I want like, you know, a chicken and avocado sandwich. Uh, so, so I literally look at it day by day for within a week or two week period of time and see what the weather is going to be like so that I can kind of knowing myself and knowing what's in season, what will I want to have? What will I crave? What's available? You know, going, okay, like on my list, I'm going, okay, I'm, I want to make a, a, a garlic lemon cod dish, which is very springy. Okay. What day of the week am I going to put that on based on the weather? And I'm going to want to pair that with a fresh spring asparagus, which is like all over the place right now, but you want the good stuff. You don't want the crappy stuff. You don't want anything packaged. So I'm like, okay, well, if I go to Whole Foods and they have really good looking asparagus, I'm going to get my asparagus. If not, I'm just going to default to broccoli because broccoli is always available. So um, that's sort of how I do it in terms of sticking to the seasons as much as humanly possible. And of course I, I go to the local farms and that's hard too. I mean, I'm, I'm from New York originally and it's very hard to find um, fresh, local, natural, organic, you know, you'd have to, from where I was in New York, you have to drive an hour to get to a farm to buy something that was just picked. I, now where I am, I have a farm literally two miles from my house. I can walk there. Um, and they always are growing and they always have fresh eggs and fresh milk and fresh, uh, beef. Um, so, so that allows me to stay seasonal because if they don't have it, it's not growing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it allows me to stay local and it allows me to stay, um, mindful of where my food is coming from because Mm -hmm. I can see there's a field where the potatoes were harvested, you know? And, and I think all of that is really important. And going back to your first point, I think people are starting to understand how important it is to know where your food is coming from, Yeah, know how it's, how it's processed, mm-hmm. how, how it's treated. If you're a meat eater, um, and I, some people are not, I am, but I try to, again, be as local and as ethical as I can. I don't, when, and, and, and that's also a point because not everyone can afford that, right? Mm-hmm. So you just do the best you can when you can to, I say, stay, if your food is as close to earth as possible, mm-hmm. you're in good shape, Yeah, you know? Yeah, I love that. I'm so you, it's like you read my mind. I was going to ask you about, um, how you plan for your work weeks meal wise. And, um, it sounds like you have a similar process to me where you take a chunk of time and you think about what you want to cook and and you look at what ingredients you need. I'm wondering if you do any meal prepping on it for that, or do you, you know, I usually do. And again, I would say for, weekdays and breakfast and lunch. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll either know that like I'll, I'll, I'll pre-prep a bunch of fruit and put it in the freezer for smoothies, or, um, I tend to make, so 
last, the last two weeks, um, at, at work being my warehouse where I make my olive oil, uh, we had a huge order come in and where I've been mostly working from home, uh, I needed to be there and I needed to be on the production floor. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to make, you know, a fresh lunch every day. Um, and, and before the pandemic, this is the type of thing that I would do where I would make a giant quinoa salad, right? So mm -hmm. this one was quinoa, uh, orange chicken, feta cheese, spinach, tomatoes, uh, carrots, red onions, and cucumbers. And then I put lemon olive oil in it. And it just had this huge, huge container of this in the fridge. And every day I would just scoop some into a container and that was my lunch for the week. Um, so when it comes to breakfast and lunches, those, I do tend to do that. I'll plan out my dinner meals, um, for mostly during the week. And then usually, um, I give myself a little bit of spontaneity for the weekend, but there's often times where it is a holiday, a holiday for me. Um, for example, last weekend uh, was Astara, which is the spring equinox. So I knew in my head that I'm cooking a certain meal. I'm cooking a special meal in honor of this particular holiday on the wheel of the year. Um, and then ba basically just cooked food all day. You know, I made, I made scones and I made quiche and I made pie and I just, just cooked all day for the holiday. Um, as most people would do for like Christmas or Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. I'll do that as the wheel of the year turns and we we get to our um, our major and our minor holidays um, as as pagans and celebrate them through food, especially now because you can't gather, you know, you can't gather with people. So normally I would gather with the community on these holidays, but we can't do that now. So I'm just like, I just got to make a feast for myself, I guess. <laughs> Does Justin help you meal prep? Or are you doing, is that something you love to do by yourself? Aside from brunches, uh, Justin does not, <laughs> if you listened to the episode, we had, I think it was the Valentine's day. We were talking on the podcast about, uh, the power of intention of cooking. Um, and that was pretty much the last, the first time and the last time Justin was in the kitchen making anything, mm -hmm. uh, was the waffle incident. Um, yes. and, and I don't want to give no spoilers, but, um, yeah, he can make a mean peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He's That's excellent. Right. He's not allowed, right? Because because of the waffle incident, he's not allowed. Yeah, he's not really. Sometimes I'll be like, "Can you chop that?" Uh, I don't. Yeah, no, no chopping. But like, can you grate this cheese, or can you, you know, put the bread on the table, or can you make the coffee? Can you pour the drinks? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Mac. He's really great at macaroni and cheese. Mm. I can't. I can't say that. He's excellent at everything else in his life. So. You know, he's got to, he's got to suck at something. No one's perfect. Yeah. Well, and you know, that provides balance in your relationship, yeah. right? Cause that's your thing. You get to shine there. I love that. Exactly. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to be able to do something. Well, Don, you have many, many talents. I mean, first of all, your book is a work of art and, um, I'm just so flattered that you like it. Oh, I love it. I don't like it. I love it. I mean, this is every recipe I have cooked out of here my it's everything you say about it, and it's not like I'm like oh that you guys this is a recipe or a spell for love and community and you know but it comes through when they're eating it they're like oh my god this is so good they love it they love it what's your favorite so I have two um 
because I like both sweet and savory, um, yeah. savory. I've been really loving the stuffed bell pepper, chorizo, oh gosh, so sweet potato. Oh, I got, that's yes. so good. It's so good. And it's easy. Like, and then you have all the leftovers. Yes. And it's even better the second day. It's one of those things that like it marinades and it's so good. And I just, it's not like anything crazy, right? Like I know what all these ingredients are. Yeah. It's not, like it's not hard. Get a dictionary out or something. Yeah. Food dictionary. <laughs> so that's been my favorite kind of winter month, even transitioning into spring. I just yeah. made it this week, actually. My husband that's, and I were sitting on the that recipe. Like, oh, so good. Yeah. That recipe. It's interesting because, you know, when you put the book together, you, you don't know what people are going to love, mm. but there's a handful of things that I, the feedback that I've gotten is like the bell peppers. My cousin is obsessed with them. She makes them every week. Yeah. She makes them every week as somebody yesterday, somebody yesterday posted on Instagram that they made them. And this is some lady who's like in Hawaii. And I was like, someone in <laughs> Hawaii has my book. Oh my God. Like, great. I love that. That's so cool. What's your other, what's your sweet favorite? The sweet favorite is, um, the cinnamon crumb cake. I think mm. I, you know what I'm talking about? That oh it's, God, make it. oh, and I don't even, I feel like I look at the picture of it and I'm like, well, it doesn't really look like that, but it tastes damn good. <laughs> so, um, that cake is, it gets the pictures. I mean, is that what it looks like when it comes out of the oven for you? I mean, it doesn't want to come out of my oven because <laughs> you're a pro. Well, can I tell you a secret? Yes. Uh, of all of the photos and all of the recipes in the book, I actually cooked them mm -hmm. and I actually food designed them. So mm -hmm. usually with books like this, most cookbooks, they hire a designer. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they have random people making the food and then they, they make the food, they design the food. Um, sometimes it's not really food, you know, they, they'll, they'll make oh. things out of styrofoam for, for a book so that, so that it doesn't melt or something, or it doesn't mm -hmm. change shape or it doesn't, you know, um, you know, if it's an avocado, it might be fake. So it doesn't brown under the lights. Yeah. Um, this book, I did all the cooking and I did all the food styling, um, and I got, I got to work directly with the photographer and it was right at the beginning of COVID. So it was that April, right mm -hmm. after everything shut down. Um, and lucky for me, she was a friend. She lives like within an hour away. And once a week for like eight weeks, I went to her house with bags of ingredients cooked in her kitchen. And she set up a photo studio in the front of her house. And we designed, we did the food designing well, she did the shooting and I did the, I did the food staging. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the, one of the coolest experiences. Um, and I'm really, I'm very, very proud of it. I'm very, cause I've never done anything like that before. You know, um, I had, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And the, the, the publisher was like, well, you know, we'll see how it goes and we might need to send out a stylist and, and I was like, all right, but I, I think I can do it. And, and so they were remote while we were doing it. And we would have to send a photo to them for them to approve it before we can move on to the next photo. Mm. So we would send the photo, wait 20 minutes, wait a half hour for them to send back. Yeah, it looks good or no, do this. And nine times out of 10, they were like, that looks great. Move on. I was like, oh, wow. no, they, they like what we're doing. <laughs> oh my, I can't believe that. So uh, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of the photos. I'm very proud of the food styling, but yeah. So that cake looked exactly like that when it came out of my oven. Cause that was cooked in my oven. Wow. I'm impressed. It's it was so good. You so guys good. 
so, so good. good. And it's like easier than you think because yeah. you, just, you just put everything. If you have a stand mixer, you just put everything in the stand mixer and then just pour it in the pan. Although it does take a, like two pounds of butter or something. Yes. It's <laughs> a lot of butter, a lot of butter. It's, no. you know, it let the thing Sorry. that I love about though, when, when I make sweet stuff, it tends to not last very long, but this one has the staying power to feed two over six foot tall, hungry men in my family and they can eat. Didn't you make so, it for like a vacation or something? Yeah, we're we going took it to the beach. Yeah, we took it to the beach with friends of ours. And I always, I have these food insecurities that there's not going to be enough food. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, because my mom wasn't like the kind of mom that grew up. She didn't really know how to have leftovers. She would make enough for the four of us. Yeah. But she wasn't like, she wasn't like one of those moms that was like, oh, eat your yeah, let's have all this food for left. Do you know what I mean? Like she wasn't one of those. Yeah. Moms. So I'm Italian. So I don't know anybody like that. Like everything is like, if you have four people, you're cooking for 20 people. If you have 20 people, you're cooking for four people. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, it's very difficult for me to actually cook for just us. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Um, so I do tend to, I'm, I, I always have leftovers because most recipes are not for two there for four or, or eight. Right. So yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that, sorry, I Tessa, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> well, I'm trying to seconds and emulate, thirds. I'm trying to emulate, emulate your, your style because I need it. Like I need, we need to have leftovers. It helps me throughout the it week. It makes life. I love leftovers and yeah. I love making recipes that like, okay. So well, I told you I was me- meal planning, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I have a giant container of like chicken, chicken tenderloins in my freezer. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go buy chicken. I have chicken. Okay. What can I make with this? All right. So one night I'm going to make this and the next night with the leftovers, I can make that. Mm-hmm. And then I can make this with that, you know, with all these. So, so like three meals I can make out of that one package of, of chicken tenderloins. And then I only have to cook them once because I'll make a chicken salad the next day, or I'll, I'll chop it up and put it in pasta the next day. Um, and I think that that's a skill that comes out of necessity. You know, um, when Justin and I first got married, we had very little and, um, we really had to learn. I really had to learn how to stretch the food Mm-hmm. how to, I was working two jobs. He was working overnights. You had to figure out not only how to stretch the food, but how to stretch the time. So if I could cook something once and eat it for four days, now I'm saving time and money. So that's why like crock pots are the best thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the best thing in the world. Well, Hey, speaking of that, speaking of the crock pot, that's definitely one tool I have in my kitchen. There, there's a couple of tools that you recommend in the book. Um, one that I picked up that I love is the wooden spoon. So important. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, first of all, any self-respecting Italian person has at least 17 wooden spoons at any given time. Okay. That's (laughs) just, I I could literally turn my camera around and show you, I have two, like, uh, you know, what do you call them? Like just containers for your, for your kitchen utensils, canister. I have two of them, one for like my plastic and, and metal tools and an entire one just for my wooden tools and most of its spoons. Um, so from an energetic or magical perspective, natural fibers conduct energy better than artificial 
fibers, right? Artificial uh, materials. So wood is conductive to energy where plastic is not. So if you're doing intentional cooking, you're doing energetic work while you're cooking, while you're doing, uh, you know, ritual cooking or, or ritual meals, or, or just trying to put as much love as you possibly can into the soup that you're going to make. If you're stirring it with a plastic spoon, the energy coming off of your body is not going to get into that soup because it's going to stop with the plastic spoon. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you are using a wooden spoon or even a metal spoon, wood is better, but metal is okay. Um, it will then conduct the energy from your, from your heart center, from your body into the food that you're cooking. Um, if you would like to call it a kitchen, which is wand, uh, because the wands are really just made to connect energy or to, to send energy out, right. Um, to help us direct where it goes. That's what wooden spoons do. So in terms of working in the kitchen for energetic cooking, it's very important to, as often as you can use natural fibers, whether it is, uh, um, glass, ceramic, wood, um, these things are very, very important. Of course, plastics and silicones and things like that have their place, especially when it comes to maybe baking or nonstick surfaces. I'm, I'm, I'm a realist here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but we really should, when we are doing specifically energetic cooking, when we are using our intention and we are using our energy, uh, it's very important that we're using natural fibers. And that's why wooden spoons are just the best, the best. Mm -hmm. And there is a different feeling. Like I, I think because I picked it out and I picked it out intentionally and it has this really cool kind of swirly design on it. Yeah. I love cooking with it for that reason. You know, I remember when I bought it, um, I was inspired to buy it because I read the book and I felt like definitely that's one tool in my kitchen that I don't have and I need, and it makes a difference when I'm using it. Have you, um, do you know the book or, and they made a movie out of it too, like water for chocolate. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's kind of what this is that you're, that you're doing. It's, mm -hmm. it's this idea that whatever energy, whatever emotion, whether conscious or not, it's getting infused into the food that you're cooking. And then the person that's eating it receives that energetic. A hundred percent. Intention. A hundred percent. Before I get into that, I, I want to just go back to your spoon. Yes, okay? please. So, so let's just walk through that one more time. You were inspired to get a wooden spoon because of this thing you read in a book somewhere. And so you went out specifically with the intention of buying a magical spoon, something that would be able to enhance the way you felt about cooking, something that would help you put energy into things to conduct that energy, right? Now, every time you use it, you said to me just now, it feels different. I enjoy cooking with it more. So not only are you conducting energy from yourself through this spoon into the food, but you're also storing it within that object, okay? Because every time you look at it, you're like, I love my spoon. That makes me happy. I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to cook this meal and I can't wait to use this spoon with it, right? Similarly, and I will, I will, you know, get back to, to your, your point there. Um, we'll come back to that in a minute. Similarly, when my grandmother passed away, uh, my mother said to me, you know, we're cleaning out grandma's house. Is there anything from grandma's house that you want? And I said, anything from the kitchen, 
Just anything that's in her kitchen, anything that can be spared, I'll take it. And what I wound up getting was a muffin tin that's like hammered copper that came over with my great grandmother from Italy. So this, it's gotta be a hundred years old, if not more. Um, Cause my grandmother came when she was seven. So this was in that trip. So it was my great grandmother's muffin tin, two bread tins, um, a spatula, uh, a couple of other little things. And all of them resonate with this ancestral energy mm-hmm. that has been passed from cook to cook to cook within my family. Their energy remains there. So if I want to make something very special and I use, I, I reserve these objects for a very special cooking, right? If I know that I need to make something extra special or I need to make something extra powerful, I'm going to use my grandmother's bread tin to make the bread I want to make because I know that it's going to have her energy in it right? Mm-hmm. Not to mention all the emotion that comes out in knowing that it's hers. So in a way I'm keeping her alive as well. So these objects aren't just used to move energy through, but also they hold that energy and then store it. So it just gets better and better and better. You know, it's like a sauce marinating or, or something for, for years and years and years. And Tessa, you might take that spoon and pass it to someone else when, when you've either passed or you're done you know, with it or whatever, you might say, this is my, my very favorite spoon and it means the world to me. And now I want you to have it. Mm. You know, that's a big deal. That's an heirloom, even though it's like a $10 wooden spoon, you got home goods, you know what I'm saying? And that's fine too, because it's about how you use it and what you put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to your point about his food, his food is over there. I don't know if you can see, cause he's so, oh, okay. he's so, he's so dark. You can't even oh. see it knocking things over. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. It's okay. Kitty. Um, yeah, they have a little bowl of food back here. Um, so back to your point about the movie, uh, like water for chocolate, Mm -hmm. what I, in practicing kitchen witchery, this idea of visualization and mindful cooking, what you are doing is you are putting energy into food and then physically taking it in or physically giving it to someone else. Right. And it sounds crazy, but when you think about it, You've had these experiences before, okay? A couple of examples. First, Ollivander wants to say hello. Hi, Hi. Ollivander. Do you call him Ollie or Olive for Ollie, short? Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Actually, he's very fancy. He's got a, oh, wait, is this, this isn't tux? Ollie. This is serious. Oh, this hi, isn't Ollie. This is serious. Serious Ollie. black cat. Serious black cat. <laughs> uh, Ollie has a, a little white patch on his chest. He's very fancy. Because he's like in a little tuxedo. This is serious. And he's obviously, you can see he's very, very serious. Yeah, he's very, he's taking that flopping about very seriously. (laughs) He weighs a million pounds and he's nine months old. Oh my God. Are these going to be giant cats? How big are they going to be? He's serious as 16 pounds. Wow. Okay, so this is what's happening right here. I love this so much. I love you too. Okay. We're we're doing an interview right now. This is very important. Can I just sit with you, mom? Can I just be here? You just want to hang out here? Can I have a kiss? I'm not going to bother anyone. Do you ever make your cats talk? All the time. I like that you've given them very manly voices. (laughs) Really serious. His voice is like this. Mom, I love you. Oh, okay. What are you doing? I'm really sorry, Tessa. This is 
I really hope your viewers don't think this is, I hope you can edit this. No, they're used to, okay. So I'm teaching class, I'm teaching yoga classes, right? And um, the comments, the feedback that I get are always about my cats. It's all about the cats. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody cares about the yoga. It's all about the cats. Yeah. Yeah. I don't let them in the room when I'm doing yoga because they just try to eat my mat. Mm. Okay. So that was a a nice little, nice little serious, serious break. Um, (laughs) I love him so much. And he's got the little tiniest little meep. He's like, "Ah!" that's what he sounds like all the time. (laughs) Okay. So okay, back to the serious questions. Um, So I'm going to prove to you that this whole energy and food thing is you've experienced it and everybody has experienced it. Yeah. Or done it, right? Do you have a recipe that you make for everything, right? So it's like your signature thing. Whenever you go to a party, people are like, oh, Tessa, can you bring X? Uh, I love to make beet hummus. It's so good. It's, so it's good. like magenta. It's the most beautiful color ever. Yeah, that sounds that's what I usually bring. It's so awesome. do you roast the beets first? I actually boil them. Mm, so they get nice and soft. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And then it's lemon and garlic and any kind of oil you want to use. I generally use olive oil, mm-hmm. yours in particular, <laughs> my favorite. Thank you. Um, Have you ever been in a bad mood when you made it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, how, does it, out. how does it come out when you make it, when you're pissed off? It's not the consistent. What I notice about hummus in particular is the consistency is different. If I'm not paying attention or if I'm stressed out and busy, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly the point, right? If you are a hundred percent in and you're being mindful and you're thinking happy thoughts and you're feeling positive and you're feeling joyful and grateful for what you're doing in the moment, the food takes on that energy Mm -hmm. because you are making the food. You're putting that energy directly into this food. If you are pissed off, distracted, upset, you know, annoyed because you just got stuck in traffic, whatever it is, it's going to either taste different, smell different, have a different con- consistency as you notice with your hummus. Maybe you're going to burn something, even though your oven is only on 350, whatever it is, mm. it's going to change the molecular structure. I swear to you, it's going to change the energy that is in that food. There is a study can't at this moment, remember who the doctor, what the doctor's name was. Um, and it's all about the effect of positive and negative energy on water molecules. Yes. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about Yes, where they took like two jars of water and one, they spoke lovingly to it and they were like, I love you. And they sang it music and they only said nice things to it. And they taped happy words on it, like beautiful joy, all those things. And the other one, they either ignored or they spoke angry words to it. And they put words on it that were like hate and all these things. And then afterwards they crystallized the water droplets and the water droplets in the loved water were perfect, beautiful, crystallized snowflakes. And in the other one, they wouldn't crystallize or they were malformed or whatever. That is an actual tangible study done about how energy affects what you're put, what energy you're putting into, right? Now, if that's water and human beings are 80% water and the food we eat is 80% water, imagine how your energy affects the food 
that you're cooking, right? So now here's another example. How do you feel? And I don't know, I don't, I don't eat fast food, but some people do. Um, how do you feel when you eat fast food? Oh, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I right? mean, yeah, for so many not, reasons. Not so just because, right, right. Not just because it's not the best quality food on a nutrition level, right? Which we're not here to talk about nutrition. That's not my jam. Um, <laughs> but where does that food come from? How is it handled? Yeah. Who's cooking it? What energy is being put into that cheeseburger at a local fast food chain by the 16 year old kid who maybe is failing his geometry class, who just needs to make a paycheck, who's flipping that burger, who's underpaid, who's overworked and just getting it out the door. What kind of energy do you think that kid is putting into that hamburger? Not, not great. Good. Not great stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Justin loves good not good, but he loves a, a, a good greasy fast food meal like twice a year, right? Mm -hmm. Like twice a year, maybe he'll go to Taco Bell once and maybe he'll go to McDonald's once. Um, you know, it's like you get that craving, right? Yeah. I do not. I do not, but he does. <laughs> and every time he's like, oh, it was really good when I was eating it. And then afterwards he's like, I just feel empty. Mm -hmm. I feel empty and I feel like I still need food. Like yeah. I'm full, but I don't feel fulfilled. Yeah. That's energy. That yeah. is, that's it right there. So when you are practicing, and I talk about this a lot in the book, when you are practicing this kind of energy work, it is so important that you have clear intentions. It is so important that you are not coming from a place of anger or frustration or, or, or anything negative. And it's, it's difficult to do that at all times, you know, but if you are, if you are being mindful you have to make sure that that mindfulness happens all the time when you're cooking food. And it doesn't mean that you can't pop something in the microwave. You just need to be aware that you're going to pop something in the microwave and okay, take a deep breath. This is a sacred act. If I'm creating something, if I'm, if I'm doing the alchemy of taking something that was not edible and turning it into something edible, that in and of itself to me is magical, mm -hmm. right? I, I have pizza dough rising on the counter right now for our dinner. It's a blob. And I'm going to, I'm going to perform the alchemy of putting it in a pan and covering with cheese. And now all of a sudden it's going to come out and it's going to be this beautiful pizza. Like I'm sorry. That's magic. Whatever. Um, it is. Well, actually you're making me hungry. Did you hear my right? stomach just growl? Did it? <laughs> um, pizza. Oh. pizza. Um, so, so it's really important, especially because in most cases, we're not just preparing food for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're preparing food for people we love. We're preparing food for people in our family. We're preparing food for people maybe in our office or someone who we'd like to have a conversation with or whatever. So if you're putting crap energy into the food that you're making to share with other, if you want to put crap energy in your food and put that into your body, that's fine. But now you're dealing with what you're giving other people and you're not giving them a choice in your energy. You're not giving them the, the option to say, no, I don't want your bad energy. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, they, they could say, no, I don't want your cookie or I don't want your brownie, but nobody ever says that. Right. But I, I don't think I've ever refused a cookie or a brownie. So like in your, like in my life, I don't think I've yeah. ever, 
I don't, I, I could, I could refuse a cookie. I can't refuse like chips. I'm a salty person. Mm. I can't refuse. I can't refuse like chips or popcorn or something like that. Never cheese. I can never turn down cheese. Yeah. Oh, I think all food. I mean, I've never, oh, I'm just, I'm such a, I'm the opposite. I'm like a cake, cupcake, ice cream. I could eat every day. I could eat ice cream. Really? Yes. It, I'm a sweet tooth. Always have been. I, I don't, I, I have not. And I, I'm like, I like chocolate and I respect chocolate and I crave chocolate from time to time. But if I had to choose between like a chocolate brownie or like a lemon tart, I would choose a lemon tart mm. every time. Yeah. Isn't that interesting taste buds? And I feel like, or I've heard, I don't know if you know anything about this, that they change, they do. the taste buds change every like seven years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why, like when you're younger, you want more sweet food mm. because you have more sweet re receptors. And as you get older, your sweet receptors die off. Oh. So you tend to want things that are less sweet, unless of course you're Justin. And like, then it would just be like, I'm just going to pour sugar into my face. Yeah. I'm, I'm with Justin on that you. one. Yeah. <laughs> Whipped cream. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're not kidding. And no one's judging you. Thank no you. one's. We've all done that. Thank I you, love John. the idea of sweets. I love the idea of desserts. There was this, um, really amazing gluten-free vegan bakery. I know it sounds awful, but I am gluten-free and I, I prefer vegan baked goods because they're I really prefer, good. they're really good. And usually they're yeah. made with coconut oil. So they're lighter. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was this bakery that was in Connecticut that was always like ha a halfway point between us in New Hampshire and where we needed to go for some big event in, in, uh, New York. It was always a halfway point. So my assistant and I would stop there every time. And I would go and be like, we're just going to get a bunch of cupcakes. And I'd be like, Gina, which ones do you want? And she would always pick the cupcakes because she would know that I would take one bite and I'd be like, and I'm good. You finish it because oh I, gosh. yeah, one, I'm like one bite and I'm good. That's all I needed. That's like sacrilege. I could never do that. I'm all well, in. We'll have to travel together. I'll eat so all your I, cupcakes. I can order the cupcake because I want to order it. Yeah. I want to dream. I want daydream about it. And then I want to take one bite and then get okay. back to you. Let's travel together. Let's I like do it. This. Let's do it. You need to come out to Portland. We can do a cupcake coffee food tour of the city. <laughs> so I want to be mindful of your time. I have many more questions, but I'm going to limit it to one. And um, I usually go a different direction, but I feel inspired to ask you, for the person who feels overwhelmed by cooking or, um, you know, isn't a natural in the kitchen with recipes, is there any like words of wisdom or advice that you would give? If you think you're a bad cook, you're right. And if you think you're a good cook, you're right. So everything in the kitchen, just like everything in life starts out with your intention. So if you already are entering into the kitchen, which I consider a sacred space and you're thinking, Ugh, I suck at this. I hate cooking. It's overwhelming. I just have to slap the food together and then the kids are going to eat it in five seconds and I'm going to be left with a mess. You've all, you already are starting out on the wrong foot. The way you feel about it denotes how it will be. You will create, right? We all create our realities, right? Mm -hmm. So if you walk into any situation thinking this is going to be a disaster, it will be a disaster because you'll, you'll in, inadvertently make it so, right? So I say, take a step back and take a breath. 
remember that every time you walk into that kitchen, you are doing something sacred. Even if it is shoving a half a cheese sandwich in your face, because you've got to go from here to here in two seconds and take the kids to soccer practice and pick up the dry cleaning and all of these things, nurturing your body, nurturing your spirit is very important, right? And, and it's so important that we stop whatever we're doing at least three times a day to eat. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else besides going to the bathroom that we stop everything we're doing in the middle of the day to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not about whether or not you're making fancy foods. It's not about whether or not it's a slice of toast with peanut butter on it. It's about how you feel about the action, how you feel about putting that in the toaster and, and slabbing on that peanut butter. Right. And going, okay, I'm going to take a breath while my toast is toasting for those 30 seconds, instead of standing out there going, it's not toasting fast enough and going, okay, I have 30 seconds here to be grateful that I even have toast. Mm. Okay. Now I'm going to, and that one thing is like a trickle effect to the gratitude, to the process of being able to feed yourself and others. Mm -hmm. So I would say for someone who feels overwhelmed, take a step back, take a breath, break it down into small pieces. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be fancy. You're not, not a good cook. If you love making frozen chicken nuggets, like this isn't about being a gourmet chef. This is about the intention that you put into the food. This is about loving yourself and others through the act of creating and sharing meals, Mm -hmm. regardless of what comprises that meal or how much work it took for you to make that meal. It's all about your intention. I love that. Thank you, Don. I feel inspired to just go cook all weekend. I mean, you do. I I just might. Well, I definitely, I, I approach it similarly to you where I have a day that I meal plan and I like to meal prep. Yeah. Uh, It just makes it so much more enjoyable during the week. I feel like you need a big pasta dinner. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I feel like I just want to like shower you in spaghetti. Ooh. <laughs> like, I just feel like, I feel like there's something about yes. you that is like screaming to me that this woman needs, like, I don't know. You need focaccia bread and you need stuffed artichokes and you need, you need spaghetti and sauce and meatballs and brujol. Have you ever had brujol? No. What is that? It's okay. So for all of my Italians out there, they'll know what I'm talking about. So are you, first of all, do you eat meat? Yes, I do. Okay. So brujol is very thin slices of steak. Mm. Um, and every Italian person in every region makes it a little bit differently. The way I make it is you like mince up garlic until it's almost a paste Mm -hmm. and then parsley and Parmesan cheese. And you take this thin piece of steak, you know, probably like this big, maybe like, you know, three inches by two inches with the size of a postcard, maybe. Mm -hmm. And you put that in the middle and then you roll it up and then you, you cook it just real quick in the frying pan until it's crispy on the outside. And then you throw it in the tomato sauce and you just let it cook. So you throw it in with your, with your meatballs. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is divine. And I seriously, I want to make you meatballs and brujol and spaghetti and just and red wine. And yes. I don't know, there's something in your eyes that just like, you need a big, Ita- do you have any Italian people in your life that can make you a big giant Italian meal? You need it. No, 
I need it. I need you in my life. You're going to have to come here then. I'm into New Hampshire. Yeah. We'll go to Salem mass and we'll see all the witches and it'll be great. Oh my God. I love that. It'd be so cool. I, I need a trip out East anyways. So have you ever been, I've been to New York. I've been to Washington DC and Virginia. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. But you've never been to New England in the fall. No, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, I'm not going to lie. It's am- And you're welcome here anytime, Tessa. I have a big Aww. suite in my basement. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you can. I mean, I say, I it sounds really fancy. That. It's just a finished basement with a bathroom. But that, that's all I need. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. And I hope that um, I didn't get too rambly. I'm sorry. No, don't. I love, I love the, I just love listening. I think that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I like listening to people's stories. I like listening to people talk. I like seeing your face when it lights up about the subject that you get, that you're so passionate about. And it's cool because now other people get to enjoy it too, and hopefully be inspired. So thank you so much for, I am so grateful. Here. I, I, when you asked me to come on, I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I know you already. Cause we have so many email conversations and yeah. I'm just so flattered that you love the book. And I'm just, I'm just really grateful that you're enjoying the olive oil and um, yeah. And that, that you thought enough to have me come and have a chat with you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to me on the social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, Yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address tessa.tovar that's t-o-v as in victor a-r at icloud.com i love to hear from my students and i'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you if you don't listen i don't do this and my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat in particular spreading the word outside of the studio Thanks for tuning in and have a lovely day. Bye.